For me, it's different because Samir is not here. I'm facing this demonstration alone, okay, with my children, with my friends, but your partner is not here. And your partner, especially Samir, so it, he was like a boss for the demonstration in, in 2005, and my boss also, my leader, and my, my icon, if you want, for this demonstration. So it's completely different. It's a new generation. It's a new mentality. But I think that they have in their genes, maybe, um, the build-up of 2005 and 2015. They are aware of about uh, our mistakes. If you want, we know that uh, uh, there is a collapse of the regime. You are here because... Uh, um, you have a kind of revolt mm -hmm. uh, and you are angry. You are angry uh, because of your state, of your government, of the corruption. You feel that you are a hostage. The leaders are kind of uh, gangsters. You are the hostage of gangsters. Um, but these, these, these emotions are different this time around because it's more or less the same kind of political leadership. Do you feel that they are more gangsterish this time around and do you sense that they have changed because there's real resentment today against the leadership and mm. i don't remember this type of animosity in previous protests mm. it seems like that has shifted fundamentally we always ha uh, had uh, um, corrupted mm -hmm. uh, politicians in mm -hmm. lebanon mm -hmm. but it was I don't know if I have to say like that, but a kind like a real politic. You have a real, uh, realistic corruption. Now it is not anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's it's really a gangster who kidnapped the population, their money, their country, their street, their mind, uh, everything, their their dream. And do you do you think that these generations approach it the same way? Because you're talking about youth, which have really been the front and center of what we're seeing, yeah. do you think the older generations have the same reluctance towards the political leadership? I think all of us, we are on board. And mm. you, you see the mothers, for mm. example. Mm -hmm. yeah. The ladies are here with their children, yeah. with their grandchild. Yeah. Because the mentality now, or in their mind, it's enough is enough. Yeah. We can be more um, tolerant sometimes with some politicians that uh, we know. But now I think that everybody, every single person in the street doesn't want to see any politician, anyone, even if he resigns. And that includes, when you say كلون, يعني كلون, yeah. it includes all generations that want this together. Yeah. I think that is the magic of this moment, that it seems like... I think so. Just the widest segment of Lebanese society wants the same thing. Yeah. And you're optimistic that this is going to translate into something else. You said earlier that you think the end of this is a new regime. <coughs> and I want to just push on this yeah. a bit. When you say new regime, do you mean fundamentally a new system, or do you mean just new leadership that we haven't seen before? No. I think uh, we have to um, 
to build or to sign, if you mm-hmm. want, mm-hmm. another social contract with the people. Yeah. It doesn't work anymore. Mm. And you see that the, the young persons, for example, they, when you ask them, or even in jokes, when you say Muslim and Christian, Maronite or uh, Orthodox, they are looking to you that you are some somebody coming from from Mars or from from the Moon. What are you talking about? We have the same problems. Yeah. We are hungry. We are poor. We have this really the same problem, and it's magic. You yeah. said that it's ma- it's magic moment. Yeah. Now let me ask you this, and this is I know these are subjective mm. opinions, but I'm curious because you you've been personally affected by previous attempts at change. And you're still covering current events. So, in a way, maybe your view is even wider than the average person. Right now, people are put into a corner economically. And yeah. everyone, I think, on all types of Lebanese communities, all segments of society, everyone's feeling the same kind of pain, that there's a shared pain. And we, we see a reaction to that pain, which is calling on the regime to fall. Without that pain, do you think Lebanon can sustain a new social contract that you're talking about? Meaning, if what you're describing, which is a new, a new relationship to the state, do you think there are ways to make sure Lebanese don't fall back to their now centuries-old way of dealing with each other? Mm. This communal power sharing yeah. that has turned Lebanon into a very strange country in the 21st century. So, in other words, let's say the economy begins to improve. Do you think that there's something there that Mm. we will not need to demand for a new regime any longer? Ronnie, I don't know if the economy will improve uh, Mm. tomorrow Mm -hmm. if we will have the same feeling. But Mm. but I can tell you, um, I was... And I fighted many years yeah. for the Lebanese agreement. And a state, not religious state, mm-hmm. but based on confession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can base on, on parties, on political parties. Mm-hmm. For us, it's a confession. Yeah. So it's a kind, it was a kind of contrast between uh, all these people uh, with a creative and an exceptional idea of Michel Shiha. And I did a lot of speech and talks in many countries that we have a new, and we we create a new idea Mm -hmm. in politics and this uh, in this uh, part of the world and this region. So you were a defender of that? I was a really a strong defender. As uh, uh, the Pope uh, Jean-Paul II said, we are not a, na- a nation, we are an idea. And it was a fabulous idea. But I think after 70 years, we as a state or politicians or population, we failed. So We failed. Yeah. So now I think we can't go anymore forward to this uh, political idea. We have to do another uh, uh, agreement, another contrat social as, as yeah. we do uh, in other states or in other countries. And we have a new generation. They have the internet. They have yeah. their, their smartphone. They know what's happening all the world. You can't 
tell him you are Shia, you can, you are Maronites, you are Sunni. We are all citizens of the world. You know, I and think you know, we want to uh, to go forward, to go to the civilization of the world. We are outside the civilization. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's in English we say civilization. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean. So you're in a way you, I mean, because Lebanon skipped the 20th century. Yeah. The evolution that we did not partake in. We kept an old idea, and I think if I if I understood you right, what Michel Shiha and all those around him wanted was a in a way an evolved Ottoman way of governing. Lebanon held on to it, and you think that what people are demanding now on the streets is getting rid of that. They're 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 getting at, out of that. Getting yes. out of it. Yeah. And so let me ask you then. What do you think that social contract will look like? Because for me, as somebody who's kind of in between these two generations, I'm not, I'm not young enough to stay out till three in the morning any longer protesting, and I'm also probably uh, old enough to have a bit of caution. Yeah. And I wonder what that looks like for Lebanon, because it's hard to imagine a secular state, and it's also, to be fair, hard to imagine the sectarian model staying. So what do you think that will look like? I think like? The, the, the road is very long. Mm. But what we know, or we knew after this demonstration, first, that a confessional regime can't uh, build a country or a state. Mm. Mm. We don't have a state. We have a regime, but we don't have a state. Yeah. Uh, we know that's a nice delineation. So there's a regime that people want to get rid of, but there's no state to get rid of per th- se. Yeah, there is no state. That's an interesting. It's way a of, failure state yeah. now. So I don't think that a confessional re- regime can build a state. We know mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Now we know that yeah. after 76 years <laughs> and <laughs> but, the civil war but, so, but, and the hegemony. But I'm going to interrupt you just for a moment. We've known that for a long time. It's not something that we just realized a month ago or two months ago. We yeah. know that this there's serious yeah, limitations. Okay. So you are why, right. So why why is it that now it's fashionable to say it doesn't work when we've known that for because seven, we, six we don't years. have develop uh, development. Mm, 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 mm. We don't yeah. have economy. Mm. We don't have uh, social uh, uh, policy. Mm. Yeah. We don't have uh, education policy. Yeah. Uh, and you put you put the burden have, we on. We don't have on, even. Yeah. Uh, a solution uh, for haray, what we say, haray. the fires. That so 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 many bad things lined up at once that yeah. we all f- were fed up. Yeah, we fed up. Yeah, but again, I'm going to ask you because pointing to the regime now is easy because the regime is so incompetent today, and that's clearly the case. Yeah. But would you argue in that case that it's the way Lebanon is governed and how it's governed that led us to this point? Or is it other bigger issues that Lebanon is not maybe able to address directly right now? Meaning the geopolitics of the region, meaning maybe sovereignty. In other words, is it simply the case that it's just the way we govern and therefore it, it's not, not working? Not only that. Okay. But if you, if you bad governance mm. for a society, for example, mm-hmm. for many years, it collapsed the society. Yeah. So this yeah. is this is our case. Right. I, I don't want to go deeper to yeah. say that 
is this regime responsible of the bad governance of the bad governance is uh, the right. responsible of the collapse uh, the collapsing yeah. i don't know mm. but what i know that it's finished yeah. we are in the end of this regime mm-hmm. we we want something else what we want it's a long process yeah it's it's a say in arabic uh hadara it's a very long process <laughs> <laughs> really? So we are really starting from scratch again? Yeah. Okay, now let's assume that things move in that direction. And of course, it's just pure speculation. So we don't know what it's going we to look like. Going back in time, I'm very curious about the hope that I felt 15 years ago. And I think you felt it too. Yeah. And your late husband, who is the biggest reason I started giving walking tours in Beirut was very, very good at bringing multiple identities together. And I think he, he himself was probably enough of multiple identities in one human being yeah. that it was very easy to be persuaded. <laughs> a, uh, somebody who could bridge, not just Beirut, I mean the left-wing cafes of Hamra and Ashrafi, Samir Asir could have an audience on both sides and both could come to an agreement with him. And the, in the cities of Mashriq, in Damascus, yes, in, in, in Ramallah, yeah. and in Beirut, and in Tripoli. or Absolutely. From, from I mean, a French audience listening to him. Yeah. And, <laughs> and an astute Arabic literature audience too. So you, you really, I mean, I think a very, a very unique individual who could let enough people on all sides of the spectrum agree that Lebanon needed to change. And that's now going back almost 15 years ago. I was very hopeful back then. I was younger, but I still, I was in that demonstration yeah. and you have a very nice panoramic <laughs> photo of March 14. What's quite telling is that you can't tell what, whether that's now or that's 15 years ago. So I think that's also that's important. But those hopes were dashed. And it wasn't, of course, two months into it. It took years until it really felt like it was a lost cause. And I'm wondering, because we were given an opportunity before, because I think, I think it's the same kind of person that wants change. They want to get out of the civil war. And that, I mean, three decades of post-war management, which has really served no one well, what can we do to make sure that these kinds of failures are not repeated? Because I think, I agree with you, the youth, the youth think differently, yeah. sure. But I also think March 14, a lot of us started thinking differently too. I think a lot of people that were accommodating suddenly woke up and said, you know what, this is bad for us too. Yeah. What can we do so that this turns into political gain, not into another 15 years of wishful thinking? It's my obsession, anyway. I, and I started this interview to say that uh, uh, the young persons, uh, they are aware about our mistakes in 2005. Mm-hmm. One, we don't have to do compromise. This time? This time, with bad guys, if you want. <laughs> okay. okay, interesting. <laughs> or with politicians, mm-hmm. uh, corrupted politicians. So mm. we have to, to, to really... Uh, 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 have our um, borderline, the two borderline, yeah. the high uh, uh, expectation and the low expectation before any negotiation with, mm. with uh, uh, 
these politicians. So no compromise. I think you have... There were compromises back then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this time around, no negotiation. In other words... The 14th of March, the same day, we did a compromise with the Syrian regime. The same day. (laughs) Yeah. So this time around, no compromise. No compromise at all. Yeah. We know that our our uh, limit, yeah. but you have to when you go to negotiate, you have to know what is your low expectation and your high expectation. Like your so your low expectation yeah. is a government with experts, uh, uh, independent. <laughs> That's the lowest expectation. This is the lowest. <laughs> yeah. We can't do <laughs> right. another yes. compromise. Yeah. One. Uh, uh, saying uh, number two. Um, I think to um, be ready for uh, new laws about corruption, mm, 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 about uh, uh, elections, uh, about political parties, and to be ready to, uh, to uh, take, uh, to take uh, uh, the parliament and to be a, a very strong partner to govern this, uh, this country. Why not? Can I ask you, does that mean that protesters, for the most part, have been leaderless? Yeah. We don't see leadership yet, and it's almost six weeks. Do you think that we need to see leadership forming? Yes. Okay, so that, and so in other words, the strength of the moment was a leaderless revo- revolution. Yeah. But for it to be sustainable, you need to... F- you need to after the government, after the after. government, okay. yeah, yeah. I think we can start to see who could be our deputy. Right, right. Who could be our judge. Mm. Who could be our... Uh, uh, you, you can't uh, do like Muammar al-Qazafi with a dictator and the population is governing. No, it's not like that. We go inside the system with another contract. Does that mean that we campaign local elections, municipal elections, parliamentary? Everything. Everything. So there's no, there's no shortcomings here. It's really full, full. takeover. Full. Okay. Full. They failed. They are corrupted. They are gangsters. Can I ask, this is maybe a sensitive question, but it's crossed... I want your opinion on something. March 14, because we had leadership in, in a, to a certain degree, there were people that we could associate with them. Yeah. number of people that became reluctant leaders, I think. Do you think that was part of the problem back then? That it was and leadership maybe made it easy to eliminate it? That it was not a nat- so. natural revolution in that sense? I think so. Okay, yeah. I think they stopped the 14th of March from, from the beginning, yeah. really, from yeah, yeah. the beginning. And we did compromise, and we go inside the system, and we accepted uh, the law of elections, the, a very bad one, and this one, is a, the last one, was worse also. Uh, no, I don't think that we have to do the same, and... Um, it's better if you don't have leaders now. I agree you will with have you on that. Yeah, yeah. I, and yeah. it's better to don't have the demonstration only in, in Beirut. Right, which is the biggest shift this time around. 
You it know, was amazing. Before we started recording, we were talking about just the, the images of protests all around Lebanon. Yeah. And sometimes we can't tell who's who. Whether it's locally, we don't know who's from which side. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Nabati or Jaladib. If you're just looking at images on both sides, you would not know where the protests are happening. I think that's, that's very important. Yeah. That did not happen previously. No. Even the Ustink movement was largely Beirut, was not really all over the country. It was predominantly in Beirut. No, it was in Beirut only. Yeah, there was no, you didn't, I mean, there was trash everywhere, but I mean, there were no demonstrations except downtown. So, do you see that sustainable? So, in other words, a month from now, six months from now, do you think that geographically all Lebanese will remain on the same page and that we all will be able to somehow get into the system together and get rid of the old leadership? I'm, I'm curious how this would work. Yeah, I don't know. I can't imagine how, yeah. but there is something to, to, to do. Mm. No compromise, a government with independent and uh, technocrat, just to try to really solve the economy, if we can solve the economy now, mm. just to see the people uh, uh, going to eat and to have yeah. something. Uh, because, you know, a lot of people are in the street because they don't have anything to eat. That's true. Anything to eat. You're right. Yeah. And this is the situation. And there is something um, important. Uh, I think that Baghdad yeah. is looking to the squares in Lebanon. Yeah. Looking to Tripoli, to Beirut, yeah. to Nabati, to Nabati. Yeah. to Baalbek. Yeah. And Beirut is looking to Baghdad and Najaf. The Arab Spring, which you covered and we all saw, mostly from our TV sets, because we were not technically part of the Arab Spring, but we watched it. Yeah. Egypt, Tunisia, Libya, Syria, yeah. and so on. And they were calling on each other to a degree, and they were mirroring each other. But here, Lebanon, Iraq, and for that matter, even Iran to a degree. There is something local happening. And here in Lebanon, we, we know the economic pain of this country. We're not alien to it. We understand it, and it's pervasive. Iraq, there seems to be endemic corruption, too. And those, those are local grievances yeah. as well. I don't know if the average person in, in Baghdad cares so much about the economy in Lebanon they care about the economy in Iraq, and then they watch Lebanese demanding, and then they start demanding too. Iran also to a point, we see internal demands for change. So those are localized protests, all calling on their leadership to go. Is there anything more than that happening? So is there a status quo in the region that people are also protesting? And what I mean is, the geopolitics, Iran, Saudi Arabia, what the region has become, in a way, a, a turf war. I don't know if, if really people are uh, uh, thinking about that, but mm. they feel, they feel yeah. that um, this power, Iran or Hezbollah or Adel Abdel Mahdi or Da'wa or Sadr, or, and they failed to have a state. Right. right. So, people like victory, 
They like yeah. success story. Right. It's not true that they they prefer to have uh, to be in the side of the uh, the poor people. They like the success story. They are looking to to success story in the world. That's interesting. So they want to feel like they've won in a sense. They have. They have. To be to have one success in the states, yeah. in Iraq, in Lebanon, mm. even in Iran. Yeah, right. So it's so it is more than just economics. It's wanting to live a normal life. A normal life. And that's everything. With, with, Politics, economics. With politicians, yeah. with thinkers, not with gangsters. They are gangsters here and in Iraq. They are gangsters. So just the unique circumstance that local grievances are touching on the same structure politically. Yeah. But it may not be that Iran's influence is the subject. But the fact is, at the end of the day, that influence or that, that security mm. regime is also being targeted as well, whether protesters are targeting it directly or not. Yes, yeah. but there is something exceptional in Iraq that the revolution, revolution is coming from the Shia. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the Shia are in the power now. Right. So even their people, they are not happy. Yeah. Because they are gangsters. Now I'm actually going to ask you something that's a bit unrelated, but it ties into accountability. And I don't know anymore who's more trusted when it comes to media. Mm. And I ask you because I don't watch the news anymore. <laughs> I don't even see a TV in your living room, which to me is a good My sign. My living is here. Oh, that's your other, okay. Well, good. Well, <laughs> okay, it's so. But the point is, you're not sitting in that no. room. And that's not the main no, room. No, he needs for apartment. discussion yeah. to stay with them, my friends and my family. Sure. But from the moment I entered, there's no TV blaring in the background. No. And I think all of us to a point are turning less to the TV. And I know that all my information that I seek is coming from my phone. Yeah, me and too. All of it. And I think... I'm, I'm a TV person and I'm a TV journalist. But exactly. I, I'm taking the, my, my info from Twitter right. in the morning. Yeah. And I know that right now, both of us holding our phones, that yeah. we have done this endless hours since the revolt began. And I'm going to guess it's a 10 to 1 ratio, phone to TV. That we only watch TV to see images on a larger screen. Yeah. And it's beautiful to see it in the larger scene. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, Tripoli, when it was protesting, yeah. you can't look at it on your little no. phone. You have no. to see it on a yes. bigger screen. I would have liked to see it in the cinema, to be honest with you. Yes. But in terms of accessing information and accountability, I'm wondering for you, as someone who's largely from traditional media outlets, who's more known in that world than others, uh, other uh, media forms, I don't look for vetted information. I just look for instant information. I'm looking for the quickest information possible. And it could come from well-sourced document, yeah. or it could come from somebody on Twitter that has three followers. But the point is, I'm looking for the fastest information. I want to know- And credible. Well, that's my question. So I don't, I'm wondering how, where does credibility lie today? Because all of us are searching Twitter for information, but mm. I don't think all of us are double-checking. Mm. And I assume... Not double-checking. It's a credibility from the source. Do you, as somebody who's now established as a media presence, 
do you always check the source of that information when you're refreshing and refreshing and refreshing? Or are you looking for instant If, if for me, the yeah. info is bizarre. Mm. But, but I want to, uh, to answer to this question. Look what they try to do with the accident in G. Well, that, that was going to be my point. So, with the yeah. sad accident in G. Yeah. For a moment, for a few hours, it really looked like those two people died because of a protest block. And it turns out it was false, completely false. Yeah. But that's already infected yeah. hundreds of thousands of minds. And maybe not all of them are willing to now come back to the original story. So is there anything, journal anything that a media outlet or even a journalist can do to make sure that information is vetted enough before it's released? I uh, remember that when I was a student in journalism mm. at university, the professor uh, said to us, credibility, professionalism, uh, uh, you have to write uh, good language, uh, uh, very quick, and the, you know, the five questions of uh, uh, Laswell, 5W, but you have, <laughs> you must have a sixth sense, mm. or you have to, to feel. Mm. Because the feeling of the journalist is very important. Yeah. You can feel that it's, there is something wrong. Right. There is something not really uh, uh, credible. Uh, the journalists can do that because they're trained. But yeah. the, the person, it was a surprise for me when I uh, uh, talked to the, to the young persons in the, in the street. They are, they are aware of, of fake news. They feel it. They are journalists. I don't know. They born journalists. You're people. talking about people that are literally just protesters looking at news. Yes. They're, they're able to sense they, No, they ask themselves, is it true? It's important to mm. ask mm. questions, not to have only the reality. So there is something that there, people something. are able to yes. handle it themselves. Yes. And, they are able you know. to, to know that the fake news is possible. Right. That's good because you need, you can't, I mean, it's very dangerous where a violent situation can spread yeah. and people start reacting mm. for a story that's bogus. But they tried. Yeah. After one week of demonstration, right. they tried many things. I'm not saying that they will not success mm. mm-hmm. next week or later yeah. on, but I think that the protesters. Um, uh, they did the job very difficult now. Right. So okay, that's more difficult than than two thousand five. <laughs> Going back to two thousand five, you know, I used to actually open the newspaper and read in-depth analysis about yesterday's events. And I mean, it's impossible today to even think about doing that. I might on my phone click on an article. Yeah. And I might, if I have time, skim it. But I don't think I have the patience to read 2,000 words report yeah. on yesterday's events. And it's the same person. So patience, I think, has gone down for, for learning as opposed to just feeling. Yeah. Overall, it's a negative way of processing data. It's I not, think it's, it will be a certain period that after yeah. you, you will go to books, to uh, uh, magazines, maybe to yeah. uh, more uh, articles uh, 
deep and deep. You think the youth have it in them to open no. a book? No, sad. I want to ask you though something else about women and protests. I think at least half of the protesters are women. Whether it's traditional journalists like yourself or citizen journalists holding their Instagram TV and whatever they're doing. I mean, it's at least half women. So women are obviously, they're central to Lebanon regardless of what's happening. But it seems like the demonstrations, there's something also in the making here, which is a sense of equality that has not maybe been so profound in the past. Women are getting a sense of respect that hasn't been easily available before. Do you think that in the mix of all this that's happening, that women's rights will improve, whether it's nationality, passing the nationality down to children, whether it's maybe divorce, things that have impacted women and have not impacted men. And if they've impacted men, it's because women are impacted. Do, do you sense that something is going to happen positively for women and for Lebanese society? I'm sure. There is no democracy. Mm. There is no state of law mm. without women's rights. It's impossible. Mm. Look at Tunisia. Yeah. Tunisia, before the revolution, was really very advanced concerning the, the women's sure. rights. That's true. And when the Islamists came to the, to the power, they tried. They, they tried to touch a little bit. Yeah. It was impossible. Backfired. And yeah. after the revolution, the uh, women's rights be, uh, uh, is becoming more and more powerful now. Right, yes. Now. So I'm sure that we are going to giving nationality for the children of, of Because uh, of the of demonstrations, the you think? Because of the demonstration. Hmm. It's on, on, on its way. Um, but I think that the young persons will not accept anymore, anymore, a religious marriage without a civil marriage. Wow. I am sure of that. So that is the new social pact. I think that, that, that is really the new is. social I'm sure, I'm sure. So women's equality and some form of secularism is on the horizon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some form of secularism. Mm. Yeah. State, I think so. If not, I think we'll fail. And uh, again, again, uh, Lebanon will, the entire country will collapse and not only the region. Do you feel at all that these aspirations will be curtailed because of the same problems previous protesters have reached? And these are conversations we've had before. The fact that there is a state within the regime, <laughs> forget state within the state. Yes. There is a state within the regime that has been able to maybe dictate the way Lebanon behaves, directly and indirectly. Do you think that that will have to be addressed in order to ensure that the dreams and aspirations you want, and I want, and I firmly believe my father wanted and your late husband, Samir Asir, wanted, do you think that we need to somehow address that concern on top of the other concerns we've talked about. Yeah. And how do we do that? We don't do compromise. We want the, the woman rights. We want the civil marriage. We want a civil statement for people. And weapons outside of the state control, what, what is that? What they can do? They govern. They, they can, till now, 
till now do a government mm. because they they are very smart and they know they can't govern alone this country is not their country so something like they are a part of this country do you think that their their ability to stay armed is diminished because of what we're demanding on the streets I don't know it's a big question Hezbollah are afraid because these people if really they win uh, their demands per a new government technocrat new law of elections they will go again one year after later two years 10 years to go and ask Hezbollah <laughs> to let their weapons so in other, so in other words so long as protesters are demanding their basic rights and good governance and a different social way of governing mm. an end to corruption and end to all the bad things we've seen that a group like Hezbollah cannot survive because they are part of the bigger problem which is simply the way Lebanon has been governed but now uh, they will survive yeah. and I think they will accept a lot of things mm. Mm. and they will try to content uh, the revolution mm -hmm. it will be the positive uh, side of of Hezbollah that they are afraid of demanding more and more from protesters I can I can understand mm -hmm. but I can't understand that they now they are uh, facing the protesters by uh, uh, bad uh, dirty job or bad things because it will reverse to them and I think now they are thinking how to contend this revolution in yeah. many ways. Even though we've seen what we've seen the other side of it, which is intimidation at times or fear or it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's a small intimidation. It's not a big intimidation. That's true, but it's it's enough it's to it's enough to send people home. And they are watching Baghdad. They are watching Iraq. Yeah. They kill people and the people are more and more on the streets. That's true. And we discover that we have an army. <laughs> what do you mean by that? And we've always we have an army. I always said <laughs> we don't have an army. Yeah. It's not an army. It's uh, people who are protecting some politicians and the regime, mm. and bef before they are protecting the Syrian regime, mm. and they are protecting Hezbollah. In this demonstration, we discovered that no. We have an army. And they put a red line. Till now. Yeah. Till now. Yeah. So I hope it will continue. I'm glad that someone like you is hopeful because it makes yes. it easier for someone like me to be hopeful. <laughs> and I think we're both, in a way, seeing the same story develop. And I do like hearing hope from the generations that tried in the past because I think it comes with calculations. It's great to see energy on the streets and yeah. people with a fresh slate demanding fundamental change. It's, I think, all the more important for the older generation to believe in them too and to be able to be on board and want change. So I think the, all, so long as all these segments are on the same page, I think we have a chance this time around. We have a chance at least. Yeah. And it's better than before. That's true. Well, as a fan of your late husband, uh, I think uh, I can't wait until I see some of his dreams come to life. 
I know one has already come alive, which is a place that he's memorialized in, is being used for everything he would have wanted. Yeah. That's good. I'm glad they turned off the fountain. <laughs> Otherwise, there'd be no space <laughs> to sit and talk and discuss the revolution. And thank you for letting me into your home. I actually do really like seeing snippets of that previous story because there are hints of it all over the place. Yeah. And it's uh, <laughs> it's a treat to be able to talk to you. So thank, thank you. Thank you, Ronnie. Excuse my English. Next time in Arabic, you and me. Oh, and so I will excuse your Arabic. Well, actually, so then I'll, no, no, I'm going to end it by saying something else. I'm very flattered that you asked me how do podcasts work. So if, if, if you end up with your own station, I'd like I get at least soft acknowledgement. Yeah, I'm waiting for I'm waiting more for you. <laughs> Thank you, Giselle. Thank you. Samir Qasir Square uh, last week he was here he was here he was attending the conference like like us 